all the processes from sales and marketing to how we onboard customers to how we support them to how we set up a person's website and things like all of that became much more predictable. And then that allowed me to actually document it in processes, which then allowed me to hire people for specific roles. Welcome to Level Up Your Course, where we pull back the curtain on what it takes to create learning that transforms lives. You will hear stories from business owners like you who share their success and their struggles. This is not where you come to hear passive income myths, friend. This is where you learn the truth about building a profitable learning platform. I am your host, Janelle Allen, and this is today's episode. What's up, everyone? Janelle here. Today, I am joined by the fabulous Brian Castle, founder of Audience Ops, Process Kit, and Productize and Scale. There's so much more, but I'm going to keep it at those three. (laughs) We are here to talk about his flagship training program, Productize, and hear what he has to say about, you guessed it, productizing your services. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Too many things on my plate. (laughs) You know, I have a habit of interviewing people who do a lot of things. And so I think it's good. Yeah. Makes for good conversation. So I read that you live in Connecticut. You still in Connecticut? Yep. Okay. I'm here. Finally getting cold. Leaves are changing. It's good. Yeah, same. I'm in Chicago, so we're not going to talk about the cold just yet. Although I think right. you're a fan. You're a snowboarder and all of that stuff. So Yeah, I like you. And I used to live in Chicago, too. I love it. It's enjoyable now. Like, it's like, finally, we're getting some cold weather. But pretty soon, it's just going to, it's just like that nonstop, depressing winter just drags on. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> I was about to say, we're not going to depress the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> All right. Are you originally from Connecticut or? Well, I'm from New York originally. Okay. My wife and I moved to Connecticut about seven years ago. Nice. Okay. Based on that intro, you are a serial entrepreneur, but I read that you have a family history of entrepreneurship. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It's funny because when I was younger, I didn't grow up thinking like, oh, someday I'm going to be an entrepreneur, business owner, but it definitely does run in the family. And so I'm not like surprised that I ended up (laughs) going this route. One of my grandfather's founded Castle's Supermarket in New Jersey. If, if anybody in, in the Margate, New Jersey, Atlantic City area knows of Castle's <laughs> Supermarket, that, that's my grandfather. That's my name. <laughs> my family doesn't own that anymore, but it is still there and, and it does really well. And that supermarket was pretty innovative. I believe it was one of the first, if not the first in the country to have a deli and bakery inside the supermarket. <laughs> I don't know how many decades back that happened. My other grandfather is a home builder in Long Island, New York, actually built my house that I grew up in, which was pretty cool. Yeah. And so he was an architect for many years. He also owned a liquor store. And so, yeah, definitely runs in the family. That's pretty cool. And my father is, a, is an attorney. So he's like self-employed and kind of a, running his own thing, too. So Got it. Keeping the family tradition. So I did a little bit of research and I saw that you went to Columbia College in Chicago for music production, correct? I did. So my big question, why <laughs> did you leave music production? Let's talk about what happened. Yeah, it's pretty simple. There, there aren't <laughs> that many paying jobs in the music industry. Big shocker there. <laughs> mm, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved Chicago and I loved Columbia College. That was pretty cool. I, I have a bachelor's in, they called it like audio art and acoustics, I think. Hmm. Basically like audio engineering. I thought I was going to be working in music studios, recording studios. I, yeah. I've always been really into 
the technology and the creative side of it. I got into composing music. I used to write songs, but I got really into composing music for picture, like background music for for television, film, things like that. And and so I graduated maybe 12 or 13 years ago, but back then I did start to compose some tracks, just like generic tracks for picture. And I put them up on a on an online library and they still actually get picked up today on like TV commercials and random TV shows and films and stuff. And I get like very small amount of royalties <laughs> every year for like things that I composed back in like 10 years ago. That's pretty cool though. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but you know, coming out of school, I interned at a couple of recording studios. I had moved back to New York and interned there. But the way that that industry works, is just all unpaid internships. I realized pretty early on that like, Basically, the way that that industry worked, if you're going to work in a recording studio for as a living, you have to intern for free, like literally for free, working something like 50 or 60 hour weeks for free. So you're living at home with your parents. There's really no other way around yeah. that. And then you have to like hope that the person who's actually on the payroll takes a sick day and then you get to step in their seat for a day. And then you do such a good job that somebody notices you and then you like it just seemed like too much of a stretch to like make this into a career. And I remember one of these internships, I was interning in the studio and I was one of like 20 other unpaid interns at the studio. So like the chances oh. of, of me even <laughs> getting any sort of break there, it just didn't seem viable. And so around that time, I was also playing in bands and stuff like that. And I'd always kind of dabbled with HTML and I created websites for my bands and stuff. And And then I decided to kind of shift gears and found an internship at a web agency in Manhattan and and they actually paid their interns which was <laughs> amazing you know <laughs> what a thought yeah. <laughs> so that was you know benefit number 1 and then at that same place I I ended up going full time as a designer front end person into a project manager and then I was there for about 3 years and ultimately left to become a freelance web designer cool i love it yeah, I want to come back to talk about kind of the part of your business journey that we didn't get to. But first, it's time for the rapid five. Are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> five quick questions to help listeners get to know you. Number one, paper books or audiobooks? Audiobooks. Actually, I, I should say more, more Kindle books for me. I try to get into audiobooks. I do listen to them sometimes, but I always end up going to the Kindle books for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think you're like the second person to say that on the show. That's very interesting. Number two, how do you feel about squirrels? Squirrels. Uh, <laughs> we get a ton of them around here, but uh, they're fine. We get a lot of deer and possums and rabbits and all sorts of stuff in my backyard. Yeah. So my dog's not so thrilled about them, though. I'll say that. That's always a thing. It's <laughs> always a thing. Number three, what's your favorite condiment? You know what? Cheese is good on everything, basically. So. <laughs> cheese and bacon uh yeah okay <laughs> all right number four what's one myth about entrepreneurship that you would like to obliterate from the face of the earth i feel like there are a lot yeah there are <laughs> one that comes to mind is that when you have an idea for something and this happens all the time to new entrepreneurs or people who want to be entrepreneurs someday. I have this idea, but oh, somebody else is already doing that idea or there's already competitors in this space. So I can't do it. I'm not allowed to do it. It's a bad idea to do that because there are already competitors. 
In fact, the opposite is true. You're probably better off launching an idea where there is some competition and people doing similar things. And it would actually be much harder to launch an idea that's completely novel and nobody has ever done this thing before. The reason for that is that it's such a, um, a heavier lift to educate people about the problem and the idea and like why it's important that it exists. Whereas if you go into a somewhat crowded market where there are competitors, that means that there are customers out there who already know of the problem. They already resonate with it. They're actively searching for solutions. You can put your spin on, on that and kind of catch sort of a wave, if, if you will. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, it is a big one. I'm glad you said it. I don't think anyone has ever just said that explicitly. I've talked around it with a few people, but um, thank you for putting that out there. So last one, that's a great segue into the last rapid five question, which is not so rapid. What is the hardest lesson you have learned as an entrepreneur? I mean, they happen like every day. <laughs> Let's see. Well, lately, I, I actually just wrote about this this week. So I've been self-employed for, I think, 10 years, a little bit more than 10 years now. Probably for the first four years or so, four or five years, I was very much solo, alone, totally alone in my home office or at coffee shops. I'd work with clients, you know, but I didn't have many peers or friends in the industry other than like Twitter and stuff like that. About four or five years in, I started attending conferences and then I started to kind of become uh, kind of connected to some entrepreneurial communities, especially around bootstrapping and self-funded startups and things like that. Yeah. Through that, I've developed mastermind groups. And I, what I just wrote about this week is that I really love going to what we call tiny conferences. So small trips where 10 or 12 of us get into an Airbnb at a ski snowboarding resort, or, or I just came back from one in Cabo, Mexico. We were at a resort with 30 people. The 30 people or less, I really like around 10 people. And it's like a conference, but you're also doing something fun and connecting with people. I do those a couple of times a year. I've been doing them for the last couple of years. And I've developed some real friendships. Like literally at this point, like most of my friends are quote unquote on the internet and they don't live close to me locally here in Connecticut, but we meet up several times a year and we talk all the time on calls and things. And I really lean on them for advice and guidance. And we're all sharing strategies. I'm in several uh, small Slack groups with these people where we're just talking about stuff behind the scenes, like not things that we share publicly, but like, hey, I'm trying to work through some decision or, or what do you guys think about this idea and things like that. There've just been so many times where I get some clarity that I would not have had from being solo or even just tuning into podcasts or blogs. Like that stuff can only take you so far. At a certain point, you need real connections, real advisors, real friends in your industry, you know, peers to help you kind of stay focused and stay accountable and get through things. So that's been huge. Talk to people, make some friends. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> it sounds so simple, but it definitely uh, works wonders. All right. So you started telling us about your journey from music production to being a freelancer. Let's pick up where you left off. How do you go from being a freelancer to the guy to go to when you want to learn how to productize, automate, scale, all of that great stuff? Let's see. So I was freelancing as a web designer. For a couple of years, I started to branch out and work with other freelancers and put together like small teams, kind of developed a, a very small remote agency, if you will. That helped me scale up a little bit. 
you know, I can have a few people working on a project and I could take on a few more projects at any given time, but it was still really challenging. I couldn't get to a point where I, where I could actually hire full-time employees and mm-hmm. a system and a, pro, like a way to scale out the team. Everything was very unpredictable and every project was completely different. It had different requirements, different budgets, different type of client, everything. And so it wasn't until I got into launching a business called Restaurant Engine where I started to really focus on how can I make it more predictable? You know, I was doing websites for everyone, and then I started doing websites just for restaurants. And that way, every website basically had the same requirements. Every customer had the same needs. They're all basically running restaurants. Yeah. And so that enabled me to work much more template-based and all the processes from sales and marketing to how we onboard customers to how we support them to how we set up a person's website and things like all of that became much more predictable. And then that allowed me to actually document it in processes, which then allowed me to hire people for specific roles. You know, we had a website setups person, we had a sales person, we had a writer on the team, you know, somebody who handled the social media and they just had processes that they followed week to week because everything happened in a much more predictable way. And so I was running that business from um, probably started around 2012 and then I sold it in 2015. But by the time I sold it in the middle of 2015, At that point, the reason why a new owner was able to take over that business was because I had built up all these systems and processes and a team, and I had basically removed myself to a point where I was only really spending about two or three hours a month just kind of monitoring that business and getting, you know, answering a few questions from the team here and there. But it was essentially running without me. That sort of thing wouldn't have been possible as a freelancer where I was selling my time for money or really being heavily involved in every custom project. So through those years, I really learned the value of of building systems and processes and teams and scaling and building a value proposition for a single type of client. And then, you know, kind of did it again with with Audience Ops starting in 2015 up until today. We have a team who does blog content as a service, you know, team of writers, copy editors, account managers. Basically, I, I talk to clients early on and then I hand them off to the team and the team just runs with them. We have processes that they execute our client onboarding process. They work with clients from week to week. We deliver new articles for clients like clockwork every week. And I'm not the one writing them. I'm not <laughs> nearly yeah. as good of a writer as, as my team is. <laughs> so I get to work on the business. I get to work on new businesses now that that is pretty automated. And so that's how I got into that, that idea of like productized services. You can launch a service. You can launch it very, very quickly, actually. And you can grow revenue pretty quickly. You don't have to build custom software from the outset. And you can just do it based on building systems and processes and teams. And that's what got me into the idea of productized services and, and, you know, doing the course around that. So we've been talking, we've been using the phrase productized services or productizing, but I want to make sure that we clearly define it for anyone who's listening and has no clue what we're talking about. (laughs) So how would you define what is productizing? Yeah. So I think of it in terms of if you're running an agency versus running a productized service. I don't consider my company Audience Ops to be an agency. Some people might look at it from the outside in and say, oh, that's a marketing agency. But to me, typically a marketing agency or even like a design or development agency, they do a lot of different things for a lot of different clients. A lot of them would call themselves full service agencies. You know, a client needs a website. They also need social media. They also need a logo. They also need this and that. Like they'll do it all. We don't do that. 
at Audience Ops, we just do blog content as a service. So there are a bunch of components that go into that, like doing the editorial calendar and the writing and the setting up the blog posts and writing social posts for the articles and writing a newsletter for the articles. We do all that, but it's all part of a package that basically every client buys into the same package and everyone is paying, you know, monthly or quarterly and they're, you know, we don't have like two or three big clients and then a bunch of small clients and different sizes and different things and different levels of importance to the company. Like it's none of that. Yeah. It's very much operates like a product except we deliver it with people and processes and it's very predictable. So that's that's how I see the difference. And then, you know, from a pricing standpoint, we're not pricing based on hours. We're not doing custom proposals for every new project. Our pricing is right on the homepage. People can sign up. I mean, most people do go through a sales call and there's a predictable sales demo video that they see, but we put together our packages that have everything that you would need if you have this problem and you need this done right. We put it all into the package and here's the price tag, here's what it costs. And if you resonate with this problem, then that makes sense for you. It's not for everyone, but it works really well for our clients, basically. Yeah. So let's segue to talking about your course. When did you first launch the productized course? So I launched it in, in the end of 2014. So at that time, I was still working on Restaurant Engine. This was about a year before I sold Restaurant Engine and before I started Audience Ops. And so built the first version then. And, it, and at that point, it, it resonated quite a bit with my audience, who were mostly freelancers and consultants. They still are and agencies, and, and they're look, trying to become more predictable, and they're trying to get away from themselves selling their hours, selling their own time for money. They want to become more scalable. Those concepts really resonated quite a bit, and I launched that in 2014. And then 2016, I did a small refresh of the course, just updated a few things, added a few lessons. And then this year, 2018 in January, I did a complete overhaul everything all new. All lessons are all new. I just wanted to do a big update, you know, because I've, I've learned so much through building audience ops that wasn't really included in the original version of the course. So I wanted to get all that in there and give students a little bit more advanced stuff on how to scale out teams. And I also added a community this year. So we have a Slack. We've had the forum, but yeah, I added the Slack this year. And I also changed the way that the course is sold this year too. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that. I'm on your list. So I saw some of the um, packaging and how you put everything together. And I think that it's really interesting how you have it set up. So we want to come back to that. (laughs) Hold that thought. But I want to ask you, how did you know that people wanted to buy a course on productizing? Was it something that did you do interviews with people? Were you getting requests? How did you know this was a thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember exactly what were the first steps were. I did have an audience back then in 2014, 2013, but it it wasn't as big as it is now, but it was um, a few thousand people, I think. And I, I'm sure I did some surveys. That's what I usually do. Like I usually do like two or three times a year, I'll run a survey to my audience, especially if I'm thinking about a product idea. The first step is usually to run a survey. Yeah. And then I usually do free form answers, like questions about, you know, what are you working on right now? What are your goals? What are your challenges? I would get more specific into, you know, based on what the product is. But then after reading through all those responses, which that in itself, I saw a lot of interest and probably way more engagement than anything I had done before. And then out of that, I did calls. I follow a similar pattern with all new products. So I do the survey and then I'll 
invite some of the best survey responses to calls with me. I probably did 20 or 30 of those. And then I just felt like, you know, this looks like it has legs. And I think I just went ahead and built the course back in 2014. I don't think I... That's what I was going to ask. I was like, did you do a workshop or was it a course from day one? It was a course. So before that, I had sold an ebook back in 2013 called Design for Conversions. That was like my first information product. I had that experience behind me and that went okay. It wasn't a huge hit. I didn't really have that huge of an audience, but it sold okay. And then wanted to kind of graduate from that, from doing just a book into doing like a full course. So that was kind of the idea of going into productize. Yeah. If I remember correctly, I don't believe that I did like pre-sales or anything like that. I think I just went ahead and created it. And it probably took me like two months or something to, to build. And then I think what I probably did was I had a webinar to launch it and had some sort of early coupon and then went from there. Yeah. I was just chuckling to myself because like there was that period, I don't know, maybe 2010 20 to 2013, where everybody had an ebook or <laughs> some type of book. for, <laughs> And then around 2012, you started seeing more people thinking about courses. Then like 2014, it really started to, uh, you started to see more people. And now it's just courses are pretty much everywhere. So it's funny to talk to people who've been online for a while and hear some of that journey. I mean, my thing with courses and books in general is that I know that there are a lot of course creators out there and some of them put out really great stuff. But my thing has always been, I want to always be running a non-courses business and just also teach the things that I'm learning. Yeah, Design for Conversions, that was a book about designing marketing websites because I was designing marketing websites for clients and for my own products. And so I wanted to kind of teach some of my best practices there. With Productize, I was running a Productize service. It was pretty successful. And then I sold that one and then launched another one. So I had a lot of like case studies and just real-time learnings from real-world building of a real business that I could actually teach. I think that's really important that more people should do more of that. And like when I go and buy courses, I want to know that I'm learning from somebody who's actually doing this stuff. Yeah. They're not just teaching it. Productize is a, it's a significant chunk of my income. It's not like the majority, but it does get a lot of my attention. But it's like, I still think of it as like a side project to my main business. Yeah. So let's talk about when it came time to to create the course, how did you decide what to include? What was your process? I usually uh, start with a very big outline, multiple pages of an outline to get the main chapters down and the points within each chapter, just to have like a roadmap. Because I can't just like write it like a book from start to finish. So that first version in 2014 was actually pretty different from the new version in 2018. In 2014, what I essentially did was I did write it like a book. I mean, it had like a course book. It was 150 or 200 pages. So I did the outline and then drafted the book and everything. And then using the book chapters, I just like read <laughs> the chapters on video and I had some slides to go with them. That essentially made it the video course. I kind of got a bunch of feedback that like that wasn't as valuable to people. Yeah. Back then I didn't feel as comfortable just kind of talking off the cuff. I, I would just ramble too much and things like that. So I wanted to keep it focused and make sure that I was actually teaching the things that I wanted to lay out in the book. Then in 2018, I still made an outline, but instead of writing it in a book form, I just 
went straight to writing up slides, like slide decks for each lesson. And then I just recorded me going through the slides and talking, you know, more off the cuff, but following the bullet points on the slides. It did end up being a lot longer. Like there's, there's like a lot more hours of video in the new course, but I think it's better. I think I'm adding more real context there. And I'm also flipping between showing real things in my business. Like I'll show our actual processes. I'll show our Trello boards. I'll show the tools we're using and things like that. So I like that better. And then in the way that I present the course, I added ways to like skip around and jump to bookmarks in the videos and things like that. So, Oh, that's pretty cool. So what is the course goal? So what is it that the learner should be able to do after completing your course? Yeah, so typically there are like two types of people who come into productize. One is like a freelancer who kind of runs their business. You know, they're working with clients, selling their hours for money or they're selling projects, but everything is different. They're kind of stuck to their keyboard working. They can't really take many vacations because they have to, you know, pay the bills. They're looking to become more productized and become more focused. So their goal should be to get away from doing everything for anyone and get into, okay, who is my ideal customer? What is the ideal problem that I'm best positioned to solve for them? And then what would my ideal solution to that problem be? What would be the price and a value proposition? And then, you know, the course kind of goes through how to put those things together, how to evaluate ideas, how to price, how to present an idea to, to some early contacts, how to validate it. And then basically how to transition into doing that. It can take some time, but it's not as difficult as making the leap to like building a software product or even building a course. It's a lot faster to get something up and running with revenue, with customers. Yeah. That's most of the customers in Productize. The others, they might be at an agency or they run an agency and they just want to become more systematic. They want to improve their processes. They want to scale their team. There's a lot of bottlenecks in their team. Things get hung up. You know, clients' engagements aren't going as smoothly as they would like. They'd like to have capacity to take on more or just to target better clients. So there are more more people in that group now, especially with the new version, which goes into more advanced scaling of the team and things like that. Got it. Got it. So one of the things I like to go over with my clients is the learner journey and what the learner goes through as they encounter the material in your course. Specifically, one of the questions that I like to ask is, where do people get stuck in your course and how do you address that? How do you manage it? A lot of people get stuck on the idea. Is this a good idea to productize or am I going in the right direction? Or they have like too many ideas and they can't choose one. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the big reason why I added the community this year for Slack. And I also do a bit of coaching too through productize, but I think it's great for people to come into the community and just run those ideas by the group and get their feedback. That's a good first step. But the main thing that I try to encourage people to do is just get something out there, get it in front of prospects, in front of potential customers, and then use their feedback as your direction. Don't try to overanalyze. I've, I've been guilty of this all the time where I go into a hole and I try to overanalyze <laughs> and think through everything myself. That can only get you so far and you'll probably make all the wrong assumptions. So you're better off just getting something rough out there and just seeing, all right, well, what are the questions that people are asking about this? Where are they not really connecting with what I'm putting out there? Or what is really resonating? And then how can I build on that? And how can I tweak and, and adjust based on that? Like, You'll get so much more momentum and energy and inspiration when you get real people giving you feedback rather than all these questions when you're kind of solo. 
Yeah, I think that, you know, you said people get stuck on the idea. It seems ideas are just, whether it's productizing or starting a new business, I think a lot of people get in their head and they either fall in love with an idea or they're afraid of the idea. And I love what you said about having added the community to give people an outlet because it's easy when you're solo to just go with whatever you're feeling or thinking. And when you have a community of people to throw ideas off of, then you can kind of get some good feedback and also that tough love that you need from time to time, (laughs) you know? Yeah. (laughs) Another thing that I added this year along with the community is kind of like a complimentary benefit inside productize is this thing called mastermind match. Uh, So there's a form inside for members. They fill it out. They give uh, some details about their situation, what they're working on, where they live in the world. And then I go through those applications every, I don't know, every month or two. I just match people up into groups of four or five people and I introduce them to each other and they run their own mastermind groups. Nice. It's just a way to meet people and get connected. I try to match people up based on time zone and also like business stage and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So there've been some pretty good groups that that have popped up through that. Cool. So we've talked about the community. If we were to open the course up and peek inside, what are the components? What's the structure? What, you know, modules, community, all of that stuff. Can you break it down? Yeah. So the way that I do it is when you join, you get access to everything all at once. It's not like I drip out certain things later. Lifetime access, you get it all up front. Like a lot of students like to go through it all in like a week or two. More people probably go through it in pieces as the lessons become more relevant to what they're currently working on. Yeah. So basically you log in and then you get access to the whole catalog of lessons. It's 22 or 23 lessons but they're broken into like three main categories or groups. First one is launch. The second one is scale. The third one is growth. Launch, obviously, it's about like finding that idea, creating the value proposition, getting your very first customers, things like that. The scaling section is lessons on building processes and systems and starting to hire your first people or scaling out your hiring processes and things like that. The growth, there's a bit about marketing It's not necessarily a marketing course, but there are some lessons on how you can start to think about marketing now that you're running a productized services business. But there's also how can you grow beyond productized services? Like what I'm doing now, I run a productized service, but it frees me up to focus on building a software product. I wouldn't have had that opportunity before had I not built a productized service business because it basically pays for my time. So lessons like that, like how you can leverage and grow beyond. Gotcha. And then you said you have the Slack community and then you mentioned a forum. Is So you have both? Yeah, it's maybe not <laughs> ideal, but actually early on from 2014, we've had the forum. It's like a discourse forum. Gotcha. I actually like having both now because it's like Slack is good for you can go in there and just ask quick questions and chat a little bit. And the forum is better for like evergreen conversations. And there's actually a lot of good content in there. Like you can go in and just search for things that people talked about over the years. And there's a lot of long threads and things to dig into there. So yeah, there's both. Cool. So any final tips about productizing or creating a course that you'd like to share with listeners? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, creating a course and productized services, those are two pretty different things. But what I have seen are some people who are kind of combining them A service tends to be higher price point because you're dealing with customers who want it done for them. And that's great. 
It's a great way to scale and grow revenue pretty quickly. I would probably recommend doing that first. But then what I see a lot of customers do is adding the course component as like that lower tier, the entry point. So if, if the service is like done for you, then the course can be more do it yourself or even do it with you. So I actually offer a coaching component in Productize. So what companies might start to do is instead of doing it all for them, maybe you just coach people or you do a group coaching session once a month and the rest of the time they're on their own doing it themselves with your training in the course. So that could help as well. I would say that if you're going to make that transition, start by doing the service first so that you can really hone in on your processes and your strategy and your methodologies. You got to run through that for many clients before you really get it right. And then once you really get into a, a good system and a good groove, then you can teach what you've built. That's my advice. And I always smile when I have a guest on the show who says that because it's probably the easiest way to hone your skills and really find out where people get stuck and what you need to teach. There's a lot of resistance to doing it that way, though. I think that people are enticed by just jumping into the course, but it's so much better to just start with the service and then transition. You brought up tears, which reminded me that that was the question I wanted to ask you before we wrapped up. You have two tiers, I believe, or is it three for Productize? Productize has two. Yeah. One gives you like access to the whole course and all the lessons, all the community. The other one gives you all that plus an hour coaching session with me. Yeah. So was the coaching something that you decided to add this year in 2018 when you redid it? And if so, why? It's actually been there since the beginning. The tiers have basically been the same. What changed this year was that in previous years, anyone can go to the website and purchase productize anytime. Yeah. But in 2018, I switched to more of a closed model. So if you go there, you'll probably see it's on a waiting list. You can get on the waiting list or you can just get into my email newsletter any way that you want. And I do have a free productize crash course, like a, a four lesson video course that anybody can go through anytime. After a couple of weeks, you'll be presented with an opening of productize. And so basically it opens up two or three times per year for subscribers. I like it better because it kind of gives people like a focused window to get their questions answered. And it, even if you think you're too busy now and you're going to maybe use it later in the year, it's a good opportunity to, to kind of grab it when it opens rather than let it sit there. Yeah, got it. All right, Brian, we are down to the final three questions. The first one is an easy one. What is next for you? Anything exciting coming up? Yeah, well, you know, like I said, right now I'm pretty focused on actually building a new product, a software product this time called Process Kit. Yep. It very much comes out of the stuff that I teach and productize. It's all about processes and systems there. So I'm building a software tool, especially for teams. Solo people could use it too, but it's really great for teams who are in client services and they need to automate their processes for their team and give them documentation on how we do things and make their projects more predictable so that all of your repeatable projects, if you're churning out websites or marketing work or or anything else for clients, you can give your team all the steps and all the instructions that they would need rather than having to stop, figure things out as they go. Yeah. I've been designing that and starting to build that now. I'm hoping to get an early version of that out to users, hopefully by the end of the year, maybe January 2019. And yeah, kind of focused on that. Cool. So where is the best place for people to find out more about you and your work? Yeah, so my site is briancastle.com. My last name is Castle. (laughs) It's spelled C-A-S-E-L. 
I'm sure you can link it up. Yeah. My newsletter, that's really the best place to hear from me. And, and a lot of people just reply to those newsletters and get to my inbox that way. I'm Cast Jam on Twitter. On my site, you know, I have links to my real businesses <laughs> that I'm running too. So you can check those out. <laughs> All right. Sidebar. I've always wanted to ask you this. Cast Jam. What's the history behind that? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Believe it or not, that was my... I'm really going to date myself here. That was my AOL Instant Messenger name. Oh. <laughs> when I was like 13 or 12 or 13 years old. So Cass, it was my nickname that all my friends growing up called me and jam. I don't know. I was into music and kind of com- yeah. combined the two. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I've always wondered that. Seriously. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Last question, Brian. What's your why? Why do you do this work every day? You know, my thing is that I got to enjoy the work. Obviously, we're all building businesses because we want to build something that'll be more valuable later. We're all working hard, but I don't really like the idea of let's hustle and kill ourselves and stress ourselves out, stress our families out now for some big payday later. I kind of want it both ways. I want the more value later, but I also want it valuable now. I want to live a good life now and enjoy the benefits of the work that I do, but then also actually enjoy the work too. I I like getting into work in the morning. I'm very much a morning person because I'm eager to get to the computer and work on products and write and teach stuff. I enjoy it. I mean, it's not every day is easy. There are certainly things that, that come up and that can be stressful. That's part of it. But I think it's certainly possible these days to be intentional about how you decide what you're going to work on who you get to work with and how you spend your time at work and still add a lot of value and make a good living from it. I think all that can be done. Brian, thank you so much for just coming on the show and sharing not just your why, but your work and the advice and insight. I know that people are going to get a ton of value from it. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Janelle. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brian Castle. It's always great to chat with someone whose work you have been following for a while. And Brian is definitely the person that I go to when I want to learn more about productizing and scaling. Speaking of learning how to productize and scale, we recorded a bonus segment for you. And we recorded this segment because I hear people using the word scale all the time. And it's one of those instances where sometimes it's like, I don't think that word means what you think it means. But in all seriousness, scaling means different things to different people. But what is clear is that there's a lot of confusion around how to scale. Where do you start? How do you price? And I wanted to pose those questions to Brian. And he did a great job of giving some practical advice and tips on where to start and things to watch out for. So if you want to listen to that segment, there's two ways you can get it. Head over to get.zencourses.co slash extra. Once again, get.zencourses.co slash extra. Or if you are busy, if you're on your phone, all you need to do is text extra, extra, all one word, E-X-T-R-A, E-X-T-R-A, to the number 44222. Once again, text extra, extra to 44222. And you will get a link to watch the bonus segment 
with Brian and I talking about how to scale as well as the previous bonus videos from other episodes. Plus, you'll be added to my email list and get weekly emails from me about online courses and programs. All right, my friends, that is my time. Remember, before you can level up your course, you must first level up your mind. As always, thank you for hanging out with me for another great episode. I do not take it for granted. I am Janelle Allen, and this has been Level Up Your Course. Peace.